0: Well, good morning, everyone. It is uh, good to see smiling faces and the fellowship that's going on here today. We are, at least it's my understanding, that we are finished with 2 Samuel here. I cannot believe Sean made it through that. So, that's good. So, today uh, we are going to be starting a new book. Uh, First Kings and we're going to share a little bit about that as we talk about uh, what goes on in the very first chapter that's going to be our main text today and so if you have your Bibles with you uh, that will be a good place to open them up to First Kings chapter 1 and uh, that's going to be kind of the main theme of what we'll be talking about but why don't we uh, go ahead and we will begin with prayer and we'll start from there so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are just, again, so grateful to have an opportunity to come and worship you. Uh, the music this morning, it's just so beautiful. Those words are truly, um, it's truth. You will reign forever, and we're even going to talk about that today, Father, as we do. I just pray that that becomes so real to us that it's not just words. It's not just a doctrine, but it becomes Uh, Life and truth for us And so just speak Lord through your word now And let it just penetrate Between bone and marrow, soul and spirit And let it just convict each and every one of us In the way that it needs to That each of us would be spoken to individually By your word and your spirit In the name of Jesus we pray, amen Well, um As I said, we're going to be talking about uh, the two priests today, 1 Kings chapter 1. Now, as you have finished up 2 Samuel, we are entering into a new book of 1 Kings, but I want you to see a couple of things here. First of all, we see that um, Samuel and Kings, did you know that those two books used to be together into one book? Can't seem to get my clicker to go here now for whatever reason, so... There we go. Um, yeah, it used to be one book, all the way up until the second century BC, before Christ. And so Josephus, would, uh, he tells us that the Jews actually had 24 books in their Bible. And you think, oh, well, what were they missing? Nothing. The difference is how they were ordered. We have 39 books in the Old Testament they had 24 partly because Samuel and Kings were lumped together we see the minor prophets were all put together as one book we also see Jeremiah and Lamentations were connected together is as one and then the same thing with Ruth and judges and so they had the same Bible we did it's just a little bit different and so anyway my point in bringing this up is simply to show you that uh, we're not finishing a story and starting a new one. It is continuing. As a matter of fact, we're going to as well see that you had three types of um, periods of history for Israel ultimately. And the first one here, yeah, I think you might have to switch for me because it's just not going to work apparently, is we see a period of history that was ruled by the prophets. That's what you saw in the first part of First Samuel. Uh, and so on, that this is the time of the prophets like Samuel. Samuel would go around, as I'm sure Sean talked about, in a circuit and preaching, and that's kind of how things uh, would go about. But the book of Samuel is closing out that period. As a matter of fact, even before Samuel closes out, we see a new beginning, because it is Samuel who even anoints the first king, Saul. Remember, Saul was hiding in the baggage, and and he is anointed. Now, that was man's choice. We're going to see there's two different types of king's ruling there, man's way and God's way. Man's way was this tall, big rock star of Saul. I'm sorry, uh, yeah, that was man's way. And then God's way was this little, ruddy shepherd boy of David, okay? And so you have the period of the kings there. We also see uh, later then a period of high priest ruling where from Ezra to the coming of Yeshua Jesus is another period of history, you might say, or era. Now, another interesting aspect of that is Jesus is all three of those. He is the prophet, he is the priest, he is the king. And so he rules all of them. So when we're looking at Kings here that you're going to, you know, kind of kicking this off, the first and second book of Kings is going to cover a period of about 450 years from about 1015 B.C. to 560 B.C. roughly. So a a big time span. And You know, we think about when you read scripture, it it seems like boom, 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 and it's like all of these things happening right away, and if you saw all those things right away, there's no way you would doubt Keep in mind, everything you're reading, that's going to be 450 years' worth of history. And uh, I think it's good for us to remember that, because sometimes we feel like we just don't see God moving today. Yeah, you do. You do. It's just not, you're, you're not going to see it in these amazing, miraculous, huge ways every day. Maybe that'll be once in your lifetime. Maybe it won't be any in your lifetime, but let me tell you something. God is moving every day miraculously in your life. Every day. And so we can't just look for these big rock star type things. We have to also look at the smaller things that are just as big, just not as um, out in the open. And so kind of keep that in mind as we go here as well. On this next slide, um, I want you to see that The Talmud claims that it was Jeremiah who put together the uh, book of Kings. Now, there's absolutely no proof of that. That's just what they teach, what the Jews teach. I can tell you this truthfully as a matter of fact because the Bible tells me that the book of Kings comes from three sources. We see it mentioned in 1 uh, Kings chapter 11, which by the way, the first 11 chapters of 1 Kings is going to talk about the reign of Solomon and we see the annals of Solomon and it's mentioned there in 1 Kings chapter 11. So. We also have the annals of the kings of Israel mentioned 17 times and the annals of the kings of Judah mentioned 15 times. So in essence, you're seeing that the book of Kings is coming from three sources. Now this is much like we even see in the book of Genesis. Genesis was written by Moses, but Moses comes long after creation. How did that happen? Well, he compiled sources and put it together. That's how Moses was credited to to this. We see that even in the book of Genesis where you see this is the account of Adam. This is the account of Noah. This is the account of. It says that a number of times through Genesis, and so we see that it was a compilation of records that were kept and put together then by Moses. Well, here, I don't know. Maybe Jeremiah put these things together from the annals of Solomon, the kings of Israel. We don't know for sure. But anyway, that is what you are looking at when we get into the book of Kings. So with that little foundation laid I want to show you here on this next slide we are going to be focusing on something that's very important. When we're talking about kings in the book of Kings you think kings are the ones that are to be the focus. Well I'm going to show you today that sometimes our focus isn't supposed to be on the obvious. But the priests that were under the kings, that's going to be the focus of today and we want to show you that you are a priest as well. And so the question I want to ask you today that I want you to think about as we go through this is, which priest are you? That will make more sense as we go along. But that is ultimately the title of this message, which priest are you? Because let me tell you something, God has set before you a choice. You have a free will, and God wants you to choose this day whom you will follow. This is nothing new. This is how he began everything at creation, right? In the Garden of Eden, he had a choice. The tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You choose. When you entered the promised land, there are blessings and there are curses. You choose. And that's the type of thing that we're going to be looking at here today. You have a choice. So let's begin here. What we're going to see on this next slide is Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 26. I want you to know that just because you are a priest, which you are according to the scriptures, right? That's what Jesus has made believers. He has made you a priest a royal priesthood. We'll show you that verse later, but I want you to know just because you're a priest doesn't mean you're a good one. Doesn't mean you're a good one. We see here in Ezekiel 22, verse 26, it says this, her priests have done violence to my law and profane my holy things. They make no distinction between the holy and the common. They teach that there is no difference between the unclean and the clean. And they have shut their eyes to the keeping of my Sabbaths, so that I am profaned among them. We even see one of the reasons that God allows Babylon to come in, as he says, because of the iniquities of their priests. Their priests have shed innocent blood within the walls of Jerusalem. So just because you're a priest doesn't mean you're a good one. A priest is supposed to distinguish between good and evil, right and wrong, not just hold hands and sing kumbaya. And today, honestly, I see a lot of that. I see a lot of priests out there that make no distinction between the clean and the unclean, that they make no distinction between the holy in the common it's just that do you love Jesus if you say you do you go to church you say your prayers woohoo you're great you're a good priest no it's much more than that and so we're going to take a peek at that as we continue here Uh, in 2nd Peter chapter 2 verses 1 and 3 it says this a warning to you this isn't a surprise God said it was going to happen. Right after he left, even Peter and Paul, they say, after I leave, there are going to be these false prophets that are going to come among you. So you shouldn't be surprised. But somehow we think, oh, he's a pastor, he's a good person. Right? No, no, no. The Bible warned you, you are to have a discerning spirit to discern good from evil. Because there are a lot of pastors, a lot of ministries out there that honestly aren't worth much when it comes to truth. It says, There were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. I'll give you a couple of examples of this later But what I want you to see Is they're going to secretly introduce these things I'll tell you, if you think you're smart enough To discern who is and isn't You're wrong Because your heart will deceive you There are going to be people who are the nicest The kindest The the most uh, dynamic preachers and teachers That you've ever met But they will be wolves in sheep's clothing Even Judas Do you recall when Jesus said There was one of you who will betray me They weren't all going I'll bet it's Judas I'll bet it's him No, they were all "Uh, Surely not me See, Judas Secretly had crept in They didn't even recognize The wolf Right among them I propose that that's the way it is today in modern day Christianity, that there are many wolves and we don't even realize it. There's only one way that you are going to be able to tell, and that is by comparing what is taught, not to your heart, not to what you think, but to the Word of God, period. Okay, it's kind of like Genesis when we read there with uh, Esau and Jacob, right? And we see that Israel was deceived by Esau in every way, shape, and form. His senses betrayed him, smelled like his son Esau, Jacob, did. Okay? His eyesight, all of his senses were tricking and failing and deceiving him. The only thing that kind of made him perk up was the word that he heard. The voice is that of Jacob. And we have to have a discerning spirit to recognize the word of God so that when we hear it, we know whether that is God's word or a false word. Very, very important. One other verse that will kind of talk about this warning of false prophets, we see in 2 Timothy 3, verses 7 and 8, always learning, he says, but never able to acknowledge the truth. Always feeding on the tree of knowledge. All the time, though, ignoring the tree of life. Truth. Just as Jonas and Jombres opposed Moses, so also these men opposed the truth. These people were in the church. And who were they opposing? The one that was lifting up the banner of truth Moses. Because they didn't like his message. So, he warns us. I want to show you, we are priests, as I mentioned. In First Peter, it tells us this. It says, as you come to him, Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones are built or being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are a priesthood. What does a priest do? Offers sacrifices, but not just any sacrifice, acceptable sacrifices. That are holy and pleasing to God. There are all kinds of priests out there making sacrifices. Pagan ones. Okay? And so they have to be acceptable sacrifices. How do we know what's an acceptable sacrifice? Well, the Word of God tells us that, right? Anyway. I'm not going to get into too many details of that right now However, I want you to see this In Revelation chapter 1-6 It says, to him who loves us And has freed us from our sins by his blood And made us a kingdom Priests to his God So, as I talk about priests today I do not want you to remove yourself And think, oh that was then and that was them No, it is you and it is now That have the same choice I'm going to take you to Ezekiel 43. And in Ezekiel 43, a little background of what's going on here is this is God giving Israel a vision of what is to come in the future, a new temple that would be there. And when you read Ezekiel 40 through 48, we see this new temple that is very just, I mean, I could preach on that in itself. It's just a, a crazy thing. It is something that has not been built in the physical realm yet. It is a future thing. Now, I'm going to throw this out there without explaining much, but bottom line is I want you to understand something. Everybody's waiting for this third temple to be built in Jerusalem. Not saying it won't be. I think there's a good possibility it is going to be there, but I want you to understand something. That's not the temple God's really speaking about. You are the third temple. You are the one that he has built in which the Spirit will now dwell okay I'd love to preach an hour on that alone but for now I just want you to meditate on that as well what I want you to see though is that the temple was designed for more than just sacrifices if I would ask you what was the temple in the Old Testament about most of you would probably say well that's where they went and they made sacrifices so that they could be made right right with God okay wrong on many accounts (laughs) first of all that never made them right with God. That all pointed to what was going to make them right with God, but it never could make them right with God. It pointed to Jesus, Yeshua, the Lord saves. Second thing is, it was much more than that. It was designed to bring shame to the nations around them. They would look at that temple and they would be ashamed. What do I mean by that? Well, let me show you here. Ezekiel chapter 43, verses 10 and 11. It says, Son of man, Ezekiel, describe the temple to the people of Israel. Why? That they may be ashamed of their sins. Let them consider the plan, and if they're ashamed of all that they have done, make known to them the design of the temple, its arrangements, its exits, its entrances, its whole design, and all its regulations and laws. And write it down (coughs) Excuse me So the point being One of the reasons of the temple Was to make them ashamed of their sins Why? Because the temple was to be holy Pure Because that is where God's presence would dwell And God's presence cannot dwell in unholiness Right? Well What did I just tell you? You are? You are not only priests, but you are the temple. You are to bring shame to those who look on you. The people ought to look at your life, and it ought to make them be ashamed of their life. We don't often look at it that way, do we? But that's exactly what one of the reasons was. It is to be holy. And so as a priest of this temple... You and your righteous, holy life is supposed to bring shame to others. I'll give you a great example of this. You know, I consider myself to be a Christian who walks in the ways of the Lord. However, I am not perfect. I am not even close. My sins, I could stand up here all day and confess to you things that you would go, whoa, I mean I have cussed and swore with the best of them I have lost my temper I have done awful things like that I've hit walls my mom used to have to hang up pictures to cover up holes in the walls Okay, I am not perfect and not even close but I serve one who is thankfully and I serve one who has made me a saint he has taken those sins away We know that. I'm I'm going to uh, assume that you understand that for now. I have some friends, and as I watched how—I know it's a shock, (laughs) but I I do have some friends. And I watched them raise their kids and some of the things that they were doing. And you know— Sometimes it would make me feel ashamed and a little guilty And and in some ways, sometimes I didn't even want to be around them Because it made me feel guilty Because I knew deep in my heart I wasn't doing what I should be doing fully It wasn't sinful things even It was just, I could do better And seeing how well they were leading their life In their temple It made me feel ashamed of what was going on in my own temple. That's what I am saying by this. Not that it is necessarily to condemn you and make you feel like you're ungodly, you're going to hell, but to sharpen you. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, and this is the point of what your temple is to be, to be an encouragement to others to say, look, it isn't impossible to to walk after God. It isn't impossible to walk in holiness We're doing it Now let me tell you something That is going to make some of your friends uncomfortable What do you think, you're holier than thou? What do you think, you're better than me? No, I don't But let me tell you something We all need to be challenging one another Even Paul, what did he say? Uh, I'm going to come to this verse later But he says, imitate me Imitate me what kind of cocky, boastful guy would tell you that? One who is letting his temple bring shame to those who look at it to expose their sins. So, this might be a little offensive to you because of that, but let me tell you, it's, it's what Scripture says. This is a question we all have to ask Does your temple bring shame to those who are around you? It should. It should. And we should describe the temple to the people of Israel that they may be ashamed of their sins. Now, it continues, and I want to show you in Ezekiel 44. I want to show you that there were two lines of priests that are predicted. Now, keep in mind, we're still in Ezekiel. This is talking about future, end times kind of stuff. And this is what he says about what's going to go on in the future. He says, but the Levites, now we know the Levites, those are the priests, right? He says, who went far from me, oh, those that were not good priests. Going astray from me after their idols when Israel went astray shall bear their punishment. They shall be ministers in my sanctuary and they shall stand before the people to minister to them because they ministered to them before their idols and became a stumbling block of iniquity to the house of Israel. Therefore I have sworn concerning them declares the Lord God and they shall bear their punishment. What I want you to see, this is very important to pick up, we're just going to continue on in this chapter, but I want you to see two priests. The first one are the Levites who go their own way. And who are they going to minister to? The people. They will stand before the people. Now wait a minute, as priests, who are we supposed to stand before? God. Take note of that. Right now they are going to stand before the people Not in the presence of God But in the presence of the people It continues here It says they shall not come near to me To serve me as priest They're going to be in the presence of the people Not in the presence of God and it says nor come near any of my holy things and the things that are most holy but they shall bear their shame and the abominations that they have committed yet I will appoint them to keep charge of the temple to do all its service and all that is to be done in it. They're in the temple folks These aren't people that are gone off to hell. These are people that are still serving God, but they're missing out. They don't get to stand in the closeness, in the presence of God. Instead, they have to stand outside the outer courts with the people, serving Him. And it goes on, but, here in chapter 45, it just continues, but the Levitical priests, the sons of Zadok, who kept the charge of my sanctuary when the people of Israel went astray from me shall come near to me to minister to me and they shall stand before me to offer me the fat and the blood. Two priests, Levites, one that served before the people, one that serves before God, one that served that went in their own way, one that followed God's holiness. made a distinction between clean and unclean, holy and unholy. Right? How did this all happen? Where does this begin? I'm going to take you back. Now that you have this understanding of the prophetic picture of the future, I'm going to take you back and you're going to see how this is going to fit into 1 Kings. Let's take you to 1 Samuel chapter 3. And we see here is the beginning of all of this. This Zadok, this priest of Zadok, who is that that's mentioned in Ezekiel? Well you're going to find out because it begins here. It says, and I declare to him, Eli, that I am about to punish his house forever. Remember Eli was a priest when Samuel was there. Now, you probably have looked at this already, but for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them, therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for. That's a scary sentence right there. By sacrifice or offering forever. In essence, what's going on here is this. We see that God is coming to Samuel and saying, you go tell Eli because he found his sons more holy than me. He was not distinguishing between the holy and the unholy. He was not practicing church discipline. And he continued to let his sons serve as priests when they were living in unholiness. He should have kicked them out. He didn't. And because of that, I'm going to remove the priesthood from him forever. This is a prophecy in the book of Samuel And it will not be fulfilled for over a hundred I don't remember how many years it is But it's, it's a couple hundred years probably After this Now I want to show you Proverbs 21 verse 17 It says this He who loves pleasure will become poor Whoever loves wine and oil will never be rich You see, Eli is one of these guys. He loved oil and wine. And I mean that symbolically, figuratively, in the sense he loved the comforts of life. Do you know that there was no chair in the temple? But what do we see Eli doing? We're going to see that he's going to be sitting in the temple. You know, it also says something else about Eli. When he's going to hear that his sons are dead, he's going to see that the, that hear that the Ark of God was captured. You read about this in Samuel. And when he hears this, he tips over and he breaks his neck. Why? He was a fat man, the Bible says. Now, is the Bible trying to be rude and say, you know, gee? No. It's telling us something about Eli. It's telling us that this is a man that had no self-control, that he lived for the pleasures of this life, and the comforts of his life became the very place of his death in that chair. He who loves pleasure will become poor. I'll tell you something, this speaks loudly to America. We are people who are drunk on pleasure. We cannot be inconvenienced. He says, you will never be rich. You will never uh, succeed. Well, Eli, as you see on this next slide, was not a father. You know, Paul kind of talks about this as well. Paul says... You do not have many fathers. You have many guardians in Christ. You have 10,000 guardians in Christ, but you do not have many fathers. What did he mean by that? There's a lot of guardians. You see, Eli was a guardian to his children, but he was not a true father. A father is going to love his children enough to discipline them, to say, no, You're sleeping with women at the tent of meeting? You're out of here. This is for your own good. I'm not going to enable you. I'm not going to bail you out of all of these choices you are making. You have to bear the consequences of your sin. I'm going to propose to you that as Paul says, you 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 have many guardians in Christ, but you do not have many fathers. Therefore, I became your father through the gospel in Christ Jesus. Therefore I urge you to imitate me, is what he says Today I'm going to propose to you that we have many guardians in the church But we have very few fathers People who are willing to address those hot topics Things like homosexuality, abortion, divorce Things like that. But you see, pastors don't want to touch on that too often because there's too much to lose. We don't want to give up the pleasures of our life. We want a place of comfort. Well, let me tell you, that will become your place of death. Fathers are important. On this next slide, we see back in Samuel, he says, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest. Not just any priest, but a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind and I will build him a sure house and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. Whose presence is he going to be in? in the presence of the anointed one, in the presence of Jesus, the Messiah, the Mashiach, Yeshua in the presence of God, not in the presence of the people but in the presence, remember that distinction from Ezekiel God is making a prophecy here that he is going to remove Eli and that priesthood and he's going to make a new priesthood one from the line that's different than Eli And that one is going to be one who will rule in the presence of God, a priesthood of Zadok. Let's continue. Now, I've got a lot of words here, but I'm only going to highlight a couple of things, the the highlighted aspect. What we see happening is this is when King David has been betrayed by his son Absalom. Now, Easter, we see that Pastor Sean talked about Absalom and his rebellion. Well, what we see happening is it says, and Abiathar, who is one of the high priests at this time, came up and behold, Zadok, another high priest, came also. During the time of David, this is unique, there were two high priests going Two high priests. There was always before one high priest, and now all of a sudden in David were reading, and you got Abiathar and Zadok, two high priests, both of them serving David. Remember, David is a picture of who? Jesus, right? The Messiah, the anointed one. And it goes on at the bottom. So Zadok and Abiathar, both high priests, carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem when after Absalom was killed, and they remained there. Very important. Both of these people were serving God. They were uncompromised. They were faithful to David, their king. Next slide, I want to show you a little bit of the background on these two people. Zadok, the Bible tells us, was a valiant warrior. He was a high priest, but he was from the line of Samuel. We also see Abiathar. Abiathar is from the line of Eli. So God told Eli, I'm going to strip you of this priesthood, but we're hundreds of years later, and we still have people serving in the line of Eli. But not for long. God is about to take and remove that line of priest, and he is about to fulfill that prophecy that he spoke about way back in Samuel. And so, when you're reading Kings, you need to understand this is a continuation. You can see why the Jews had these two stories together. Not only that, we see on this next slide that Abiathar here was a descendant of the priests that uh, Saul, King Saul, slaughtered at Nob. Well, one of those sons fled. Okay, or one of the priests fled to David, he has a son later, and uh, by the way, priests have sons, that's kind of, you know, the whole Catholic church thing that you can't have children because you can't get married, that seems to be unbiblical for other reasons as well, but anyway, just one example. Anyway, the point being is that A.B. was not of the proper high priest line. He was from Eli. Eli was from Aaron's son Ithmar, who was the fourth son, the youngest son of Aaron. Remember the first two sons died because they were rebellious and offered incense unauthorized fire. Zadok was the legitimate high priest. Zadok comes from the line of Eleazar, Aaron's third son. Okay, remember, one and two are dead. The next one should be Abathar. Or um, Zadok. Well, I'm sorry. The next one should be uh, Eliezer. So he is more of the proper line of where the priesthood is supposed to come from. Well, as we continue, I want you to see that Zadok here is going to be. A very key uh, figure here in this story in 1st Kings. And so I've said all of this to get us to 1st Kings. And when we go here in the first verses, we see that Absalom, his first, you know, David's first rebellious son that disobeyed, handsome guy. Well, guess what it tells about Adonijah? Handsome guy. Kind of like the kings. Saul, handsome guy, tall, head above everybody else man's choice. Absalom and Adonijah are a picture again of man's choice. Now, Adonijah begins to rebel just like Absalom did. And it says, Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself. Picture of Satan as well, right? Pride, saying, I will be a king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. His father had never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done thus and so? He was also a very handsome man and he was born next after Absalom. He conferred with Joab, the son of Zariah, and with Abiathar, the priest, and they followed Adonijah and helped him. But Zadok, the priest, and these other guys were not with Adonijah. Point being is this. With Absalom, Zadok and Abiathar both were loyal to their king. Now we see the king being rebelled against a second time and this time Zadok remains faithful but Abiathar abandons his king. Keep in mind David he's an old man. David is like irrelevant. Society has kind of put him back. You see, we got a new rock star in town, Adonijah, handsome, everybody loves him, chariots going before him. I mean, this guy, he can please a crowd. David, he lays in his bed all day. He's just not relevant for society anymore. And you're going to see that the people even expected Adonijah to be king. But we see later that Solomon is going to get the kingdom. Why? Well, Bathsheba comes in and he says, you know, Did you make Adonijah king? Because you, know, you told me that Solomon was going to be king. Which is interesting because that's not recorded anywhere in scripture. At least David's saying that. But we do see prophecy that God is saying that Solomon is going to be king. So we know God told David this. That means Solomon was God's choice, not man's choice. Just like Saul and David, just like so many other examples that we could give. But the point is, is we have a new rock star in town. And this is a problem because he is self-exalting. He is that lazy spirit of Eli, that is still alive. It had risen up. Well, as we continue, I want you to see this. Uh, back up one more here. Zadok, as I said, chose to be with the Lord, but Abiathar, he wanted to build his own kingdom here on earth. That's what he was doing, sending people out in front of him, 50 people, chariots, all of this. Hey, look at me! Exalting himself, pride filled with that, just like Satan in Ezekiel 28, before he was cast out of the garden. Pride comes before destruction. And so the question I want to ask you is this. When presented with your own choice of an opportunity to build a kingdom here or to follow the Lord, which one are you going to do? Because I'm telling you something. There are all kinds of things in this life that God is presenting you with a choice. You can stand up for God, follow your king, even though he seems to be a little irrelevant in our society today. You might be mocked at. You see, David was old. Zadok, he knows. Listen. This king's going to die, but it doesn't matter because, you see, I took an oath. I'm going to be faithful to the king. But now we got this Adonijah. Abathar's thinking, he's young, upcoming. If I follow him, I still got a job. Are you willing to sell out for your job? To be quiet and not follow the king? King Messiah? What's your sellout point? what is it going to take? Is it a, is it a number? A hundred bucks? A thousand dollars? Ten thousand dollars? Is it your home? Is it your children? Yeah, I mean, it, it can get pretty costly, can it? But he who loves father or mother or children more than me is not worthy of me. Right? I mean, we could really go down this rabbit hole and... Uh, you know, that could be really convicting couldn't it? The point is, is we're not here to build a kingdom here. To follow the newest rock star. And I'll tell you there are a lot of rock star pastors out there that a lot of people are following that seem relevant that seem to be up with the newest and best and upcoming, you know, theories and teachings and all of this. And then there's those old people that will just stand right behind the pulpit and preach the truth with no flair. And nobody wants to follow them, even though they're preaching the truth. The old, worn-out ruler... On this next slide, you see Adonijah, his very name means my Lord is YAH. By birth, he was, as I said, in line to be king. He was the fourth in line to the throne. Well, there were three in front of him. However, they were dead. So by custom, he was, by all rights, the people would expect him to be king. But God had said, no, he's not going to be king. Solomon is going to be king. And so uh, the three brothers that you see that were ahead of him, Amnon, he was killed by his half-brother, Absalom. Absalom was killed by David's nephew, Joab, when he had rebelled. And so then you have this other guy here. He died at a young age, it seems. We're not really told uh, what happened, but we never hear of him again. Um, But so the next guy in line is Adonijah, the people's choice. So, just to kind of give you that background there. As we continue, I want you to see here in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 32. When King David returns to Jerusalem after fleeing from Adonijah, we see Zadok had stuck with him, and it says, Let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him, Solomon, king over Israel. So, uh, we're still in chapter 1. You need to go back and read that a little bit more, but you're going to see that Adonijah loses. They're coming back in. Zadok uh, has stuck with him, and he tells Zadok, now go anoint Solomon king. In other words, you're going to be in the presence of King Solomon. That's important. We'll talk about that here soon. And it says that they went down and they had Solomon ride on King David's mule. And brought him to Gihon There Zadok the priest took the horn of the oil From the tent and anointed Solomon And it goes on They rejoiced with great joy I want you to take note That Solomon rode on this mule The king's mule Because that's important I'm just going to give you it right now Prophetically what does that mean? This is a picture of Jesus Riding in on a donkey That he would be Coming in to be anointed into Jerusalem. I'll touch on that later again, but I just want you to see that here now. So, 1 Kings 2, in the second chapter, it says this, and to Abiathar the priest the king said, okay, Abiathar, the guy that didn't follow him, he said, you go to Anathoth to your estate for you deserve to die, but I will not at this time put you to death because you carried the ark of the Lord God before my father. So Abiathar, who thought he was going to have a new job, lost his job because he was unfaithful. And now, who is he going to be among? Not the king, but among the people. So Solomon expelled Abiathar from being priest to the Lord, thus fulfilling the word of the Lord that had been spoken concerning the house of Eli in Shiloh. We now have that prophecy being fulfilled in 1 Kings chapter 2. This is what I meant before, where we always focus on the king. When you read about kings, it says, ah, David and Solomon. But there's a bigger story behind the scenes here going on. A fulfillment of the prophecy of a priesthood that would last forever. A priesthood that would separate clean from unclean, holy from unholy. A priesthood that would minister before the Lord, the anointed one. That's the bigger story. Going back to Ezekiel, I want you to see this in chapter 44. But the Levitical priests, the sons of Zadok, now this means more to you, doesn't it? Again, keep in mind, this is future. He says, they shall minister before me. They shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the common and show them how to distinguish between the unclean and the clean. God is trying to raise up a priesthood right here who will separate between clean and unclean, right and wrong, holy and unholy, righteous and unrighteous. That's who he's calling, and you have a choice today. You can follow the rock stars or you can follow the anointed one, the king. That is the choice that is set before you. It is a clear choice of right and wrong. In Ezekiel chapter 40, backing up a little bit, he said to me, this chamber that faces south is for the priests who have charge of the temple and the chamber that faces north is for the priests who have charge of the altar. These are the sons of... Zadok, who alone among the sons of Levi may come near to the Lord to minister to him. You see, guys, you can either have a platform for yourself, exalt yourself, build up a kingdom here, make you look good to the world and to everybody around you, or you can have a platform for God as Zadok did. I don't care if David is going to go out. I don't care if he's old and irrelevant. I am standing for truth. I am standing for my king. Instead, we have all of these people, and I'll tell you, this last year I've seen more exposed than ever before, and maybe this is offensive to some of you, but go do your research. It's true. People who have the platform for the world Like Beth Moore Who by the way I think had some wonderful Bible studies before And has absolutely turned This last year We have people like Nicole Nordman Jen Hatmaker Andy Stanley Pat Robertson Tim Keller I could go on and on and on and on of pastors who are serving before the people building a platform for themselves but not a platform for God. Let me just give you a couple of quick examples because I don't have much time here. Uh, Pat Robertson, watch this little bit and I'm going to cut it short but watch just what he says here real quick. This old earth, new earth, the truth is Uh, You have to be deaf, dumb, and blind To think that this earth that we live in Only has 6,000 years of existence It just doesn't I'm sorry Uh, You know, I've got some interest in oil That's good for now I could go on, but the bottom line is You've got to be deaf, dumb, and blind To accept God's word as it says it is And by the way, in this entire interview He doesn't quote scripture one time Okay, how about Andy Stanley Listen to this, go ahead and play this one
1: Recently. The foundation of our faith is not the scriptures. The foundation of our faith is not the infallibility of the Bible. The foundation of our faith is something that happened in history. And the issue is always, who is Jesus? What? If we really believe that God is the creator of the universe, that all time, space, and matter, all time, space, and matter were created by God and we take seriously what science has told us, that it all began with a singularity. That's what it's referred to. Right before, there's not such thing as before the Big Bang because before it's time and time began. So if we go to the singularity that was the Big Bang that unfurled the universe, that continues to expand, religion and science conflict. At the end of the day, if you are an honest person, science must win. Here's the deal. Your Sunday school, God, probably could not be reconciled with science. I understand that. Your Sunday school God, the God that your church left you with as a child or even a middle school or a high school, and it never went beyond that, that God probably cannot be reconciled with science. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, is problematic for adults. And here's why. Because the implication is, the Bible is the reason we believe. The Bible is the reason we believe Go to college with a, the Bible says it, that settles it. And then a professor got up and says, well, there's problems with the Bible. And they begin to talk about things that maybe aren't true or historically, you know, verifiable. And your smart son or daughter that you spent thousands and thousands of dollars to get them educated, come home, and suddenly they're smarter than you, and they already thought they were smarter than you, but now they have a professor saying, hey, you really are smarter than your Sunday school teacher and your parents. If the Bible is the foundation of our faith, here's the problem. It is all or nothing conversation. You know, somebody with all yep. this information, you know, comes to the, to the Apostle Peter, let's say the Apostle Peter, and says, Peter, hey, before you get all geeked out on this following Jesus thing, do you realize there's no evidence for a worldwide flood?
0: yes hey, there hey, Peter, is. before you
1: get all crazy about the Jesus thing, do you know that there's no archaeological evidence for the exodus?
0: yes there is.
1: hey, you, hey Paul, but before you get all going, Peter, before you go crazy about the Jesus thing you realize that okay, the earth is more than 6,000 years old, that whole genealogy in Genesis no it's not. Peter would have looked at you like, I'm not really sure what you're talking about but but I followed a man for three years who spoke like no other man spoke.
0: you can stop it for now. he was arrested. I could go on for a few more minutes of this one this is just from one sermon series now guys I don't believe that these people don't love Jesus I I think he really does but they have been deceived they have been deceived his point is going to be that we only need to teach the resurrection but you see his theology is so messed up but you know what on this next slide I want to show you that how unbiblical that very statement is it's the resurrection that's going to bring people to faith He's going to say, you know, Peter, he says, I don't understand, all I know is that the resurrection happened. So that's what, no, yes, the resurrection is very important, but look what Jesus said. If they hear not Moses and the prophets, that's Genesis. That's all the thing that he was saying, you don't need to pre- preach or teach or understand. If you hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will you be persuaded, though one would rise from the dead, the resurrection. If you can't believe Genesis, let me tell you something, you're not going to believe Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. This is scripture. But you see, they're going to follow the rock stars of the scientists. They want to be relevant in our world. We have to have a platform, and to have a platform, we've got to blend in. Now, let me tell you something. There are plenty of scientists out there who do not... Hold the platform for themselves But a platform for God Who also will teach that God's word Is literal truth That the earth is young And that all of, there is evidence for archaeology There is uh, you know, evidence of Noah's flood All of those things Plenty of Bible-believing Christians That hold to the word of God That are scientists today In every field Biology, chemistry, geology, astronomy You name it But that's not what I'm here to talk about today. What I want you to see is that there is compromise. There are priests of Abiathar, that that spirit, remember Solomon did not kill Abiathar. He said, go to your home. That spirit is alive today. Maybe sitting right here among us today. Well, I'm really, about out of time, if not out of time. So I want to just share you something here on this next slide. We're going to uh, skip that one and go one more. I'm just going to give you a quick run through. There's a lot of words on here. I don't expect you to see it all. I just want you, as you go through the book of Kings, I want you to notice this, especially in the first chapter, because Solomon is a Christ figure. You see, Zadok wasn't just being faithful to David. Zadok was being faithful to the promised Messiah, the anointed one, the son of David. What is Jesus called? The son of David. 1 Kings chapter 1, Adonijah, the son of Haggoth, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. Then we see in chapter 2, he said, you know that the kingdom was mine and that all Israel fully expected me to reign. Right? The, The Man's choice. However, the kingdom was turned about and came to my brother, for it was his from the Lord. He even knew that. Even knew that. On this next slide, we see, as I mentioned, he's riding on a donkey. Why? Because he was going to come and be anointed as king, just as we see. And, and by the way, blowing of the trumpets, too. When is this going to happen? We see that that's what they did when Jesus was coming in. That they were rejoicing. Next slide. In verse 37... As the Lord has been with my lord the king Even so may he be with Solomon And make his throne greater than the throne Of my lord king David So Solomon's kingdom Was going to be greater than David's kingdom I don't have time to get into this But let me tell you something The Jews, one of the things that they just can't grasp Is that there's one Messiah coming twice They saw one Messiah coming once But there's one Messiah coming twice. That's going to be important because we see here on this next slide, we see it tells us in Matthew chapter 21, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey. And then they were singing, what? Hosanna to the son of David. Baruch haba Hashem Adonai. Blessed are you who comes in the name of the Lord. Okay, they were rejoicing. The same thing that happened to Solomon is happening here to Jesus. On the next slide, kind of in First Chronicles 29, we see Solomon is anointed twice. It says, and they made Solomon the son of David king the second time. Then Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord at king in the place of David his father. Okay, here is a Christ figure and he is anointed a second time because that is exactly what the Messiah is going to do. On this next slide we see Remembering Matthew 21 here that we just read, look in verse 37 or 39, rather, I'm just jumped down. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He will be anointed twice. On this next slide, jumping down to the highlighted part. I want you to see, then Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king in the place of David his father and the Lord made Solomon very great in the sight of all Israel and bestowed on him such royal majesty as he had not been on any other king before him. Solomon sat on the throne of his father. Jesus sits at the right hand of the throne of God and he is going to take in Revelation what do we see? he is going to come and he is going to sit down on his throne and he is going to be handed a scroll and only he is worthy to open that scroll this is all imagery of jesus on the next slide in first chronicles chapter 17 it says one of your own sons i will establish his kingdom he shall build a house for me david never built the house his son built the house that temple. You are the house. You are being built into a holy priesthood. We see Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. Zechariah 6 prophesied this, behold the man whose name is the branch for he shall branch out from his place and he shall build the temple of the Lord. This is talking about the Messiah. The very fact that temple is built by Solomon, which you're going to read here in 1 Kings, that's prophetic because Jesus is the one that's going to build the temple. You. Next slide, Revelation 21. It says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you, as I said. Next slide, First Chronicles 17. He shall build a house for me and will establish his throne forever. Speaking of Solomon. And he shall be my son. Boy, just put Jesus in there. Fits perfect, doesn't it? Hebrews says, of Jesus, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Or Hebrews 1.8, he, of, but of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever the very thing that Solomon's throne is to be as well. Next slide, we're just about done here now. First Kings four verse seven. Solomon had twelve officers over all Israel who provided food for the king. Isn't that interesting? Every month. Yet we see Jesus had twelve apostles, and he has twelve thrones in the book of Revelation. It also we, we see them there as well. Which he told us would happen here in Matthew. He says, truly I say to you in the new world when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Just like Solomon had 12 officers over him. And the last one here we see that what was Solomon's first act? He gave mercy. When judgment was deserved. Abiathar, he says, though you should be put to death, go home. Solomon was born of a scandalous relationship, too. Jesus, that would have been a scandalous thing for the Virgin Mary. And we see what is. it says here in John 3, verse 17, for God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but rather so that through Him the world might be saved. That's what I'm going to leave you with, guys. You see, we're serving a priest... A king, a prophet, who did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That is a king worth serving. That is a king worth giving up everything for. I'm past time, so let's just uh, close that in prayer. The we'll, worship team can come up and we'll close out. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for being our king. We thank you for the mercy that you have given us. We all have deserved death. We all, like Abiathar, have made choices that are not right, that build our own platform filled with pride. But God, we repent and confess that that is not right. And we just ask that you would continue to just make us holy, sanctify us through your word, through your spirit, that we might serve you as priests of Zadok and minister before your presence for an eternity. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you, Lord God, for speaking to Brian for us today through Pastor Brian. We're going to finish